0: Now, uh, I think that when it comes to sharing Jesus with other people, uh, it's tempting to similarly sugarcoat what we say. Uh, I'll give you an example. About five years ago, many of the Anglican churches in Sydney took part in what was called the Jesus Brings Mission. Uh, Does anyone remember the Jesus Brings Mission? Uh, Quite a number of us. But the idea of this mission was to go and speak to our friends and our neighbours about the wonderful things that Jesus brings. And so during the mission period, I remember we had sermons at church and we encouraged people in our churches to be speaking about what Jesus brings. Uh, We spoke on a whole host of different topics Uh, Jesus brings life, Jesus brings forgiveness. Jesus brings hope. Jesus brings satisfaction. Jesus brings relationships. The list goes on. Now, uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, it was actually a wonderful thing to be able to go out and tell people about the wonderful things that Jesus surely brings. Uh, no doubt the mission was very well intended, for uh, I trust that we do want our friends and our family members and our neighbors to know uh, all these wonderful things that are available to us in jesus and yet i couldn't help feeling at the time whether in speaking only of these things we were sort of sugarcoating what it actually looks like to be a follower of jesus It's an important thing to consider because for many people, being a follower of Jesus can become a little bit like a fad. You know, you are attracted to Jesus because of all that he offers, the salvation that he offers, and so you begin to follow him. But soon enough, you discover that following him is actually tough. And following him actually makes demands on your life and on my life. And you may think to yourself, is this what I really signed up for? Sadly, many people give up following Jesus for that reason, and Jesus becomes just another passing fad. However, friends, the Jesus that we meet in the Bible is very upfront about what following him actually looks like Uh, if you've joined us for the first time today uh, it's wonderful to to welcome you at church Uh, at church we've been working our way through a part of the bible called matthew's gospel and uh, we've been seeing jesus laying out the terms and conditions of what it looks like to follow him and we've been noticing that with jesus there is no fine print Uh, he's very clear about what it involves And he sets out in large print even the difficult bits. And yet the constant thing that we have been seeing over and over again is that following Jesus, even though it's tough, will be utterly, utterly worth it. Uh, Now, the passage that we are looking at this morning continues on with this theme of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Um, As Charles mentions, uh, Jesus is speaking here to his 12 disciples Uh, as he prepares to send them out on a mission to Israel. However, the first thing that uh, you can see there in the passage is that following Jesus will bring division. Following Jesus will bring division. Uh, You can see it there in verse 34, can't you? Uh, Have a look with me at verse 34. It says, "'Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. "'I have not come to bring peace, but a sword.'" For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. I wonder how many people will come to church if we run a series of mission talks called Jesus Brings Division. Or Jesus Brings a Sword. But there you go. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here, isn't it? Now, we've already seen that uh, disciples of Jesus will face division and conflict and hostility from a world that in itself is hostile towards Jesus. And yet here, I want you to notice that Jesus tells his disciples to expect the very same kind of division and conflict and hostility to come from members of their very own household. Members of their own family who are closest to them. I mean, most of us can appreciate the precious nature of, of family, can't we? But in Jesus' day, the family was at the heart of a person's identity. Uh, I think in our modern age, people tend to find uh, their identity in other things, like career or sexual orientation or uh, even our, our appearance and things like that. But in the ancient world, it was actually the family that was the centre of a person's identity. And so to be divided with your family would strike at the very heart of who you were as a person. Uh, A few years ago, I I met with a man from a Muslim background who wanted to know more about Jesus. Uh, We used to meet at a local cafe every week to read the Bible together one day i asked him what his family would say or do if he told them that he had become a christian it was the first time when anybody looked me straight in the eye and without any hesitation said that his parents would send people to kill him jesus brings division Now, that's an extreme example, but this kind of division in the family happens all the time, doesn't it? Uh, I know an older lady who recently became a Christian, and she is mocked regularly by her family and her older sister whenever the topic of Jesus comes up. Her sister thinks that she is crazy, just believing in in a myth. I know another man who has great conflict with her mother because he asked her to stop saying certain things to his young son because, because he thought that that was dishonouring to Jesus, the things that she was saying was dishonouring to Jesus. I know of another lady who is going overseas as a missionary with her family uh, to tell people about Jesus in another part of the world, and she is experiencing the intense grief of seeing her own parents not understanding why she and her family are taking their grandparents away to another country. Sorry, grandchildren away to another country. But why will this division, this kind of division, come about? Uh, It's interesting that here Jesus speaks about daughter-in-laws being in conflict with mother-in-laws. I understand that that's a very very um, common thing uh, in our world. Uh, outside christian circles as well Uh, often mother-in-laws become uh, jealous that uh, this other woman is taking her son away from her but jesus doesn't seem to be talking about psychological or sociological reasons here is he why is it that jesus's disciples can expect conflict within the family? Well, the answer that Jesus gives is that it's because following him means changing our ultimate allegiance from other relationships and having him as our greatest allegiance. Now, uh, Jesus speaks about this ultimate allegiance in in two different ways uh, in the passage. Uh, Firstly, if you notice, he says that following him means having him as your greatest love having him as your greatest love. I can see it there in verse 37, can't you? Verse 37, "'Whoever loves father or mother more than me "'is not worthy of me, "'and whoever loves son or daughter more than me "'is not worthy of me.'" Notice that Jesus is not saying that in order to follow him, you have to sort of disown your family or not love them in any way, I think Jesus here is presupposing that all of us will love our families. But he is saying that if you want to follow him, you cannot have your parents or you cannot have your children as your greatest love. Uh, Sorry, uh, I'm going to make you a little bit sick by speaking about my dating experience. But uh, many years ago when I first started dating my now wife uh, she became the greatest love of my life and do you know what happened Um, I realized that when I started dating her she became a non-negotiable in my life and so uh, if she called me to say you know uh, can you come out to have a coffee with me Uh, (laughs) non-negotiable yes I'll be there five minutes All other things in my life became negotiable. I would call my friends and say, sorry, I've got other plans tonight. Uh, I would tell my parents that I couldn't do the dishes on that particular night. Everything else became flexible. There was one thing that was non-negotiable. You see, that's how you know what is the greatest love of your life, isn't it? If your greatest love are your parents, then their demands on you will be your non-negotiable. If your greatest love are your children, then what you want for them will become your great non-negotiable. But I found that for those for whom Jesus is their greatest love, he becomes their great non-negotiable. Everything else becomes flexible. Where I live, how I use my money, my work and my career, my children's sporting or extracurricular activities, exams, whatever it is. We're not necessarily told to be irresponsible, but those things become flexible so that I can use my life to serve my greatest love. What is the greatest love of your life, friends? Are you willing to love Jesus more than your parents and what they desire of you in this life? Are you willing to love Jesus more than even your very own precious children? Are you willing to love him more than anything else in all of your life? And Jesus says that anyone who is not willing to love him in this way is not worthy of him. You cannot be his disciple if you aren't prepared to love him like this. Now, secondly, not only does Jesus demand to be our greatest love, but he also says that he is worth dying for. He is worth dying for. In fact, you and I cannot be his disciple unless we are willing to die for the sake of his name and his honor and his reputation. Uh, You see it there in verse 38. Jesus says in verse 38, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Uh, We can lose the significance of what Jesus says here because uh, in our world, the cross has become somewhat of a fashion statement. Uh, you know, we wear the cross as jewellery. It's often something shiny and polished and light that hangs off our necks and our, and our ears. But when Jesus spoke these words, he wasn't talking about jewellery. And everyone would have understood that the cross was actually a symbol of torture and death. If you had a heavy cross on your back you were heading to your place of execution. And so what Jesus is saying here is a bit like saying, whoever is not willing to die by being hanged, or by an electric chair, or by firing squad, then you are not worthy to be my disciple. It can only be this way, friends, because Jesus himself went the way of the cross. Yes, he was bodily resurrected to to life three days later. Yes, he ascended to heaven uh, in glory. But he showed that in God's plans, the way to glory is actually through the suffering of the cross. And so disciples of Jesus cannot follow this one unless they too are willing to walk this path. But what does it mean to die for Jesus? What does it mean to die for him? Well, you notice there in verse 39 that Jesus says something rather enigmatic. Uh, Have a look with me at verse 39. Verse 39, he says, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What is this life that if you find it, you will lose it? And what is this life that... If you lose it, you will find it. What is Jesus talking about here? Well, friends, I think what is really important here are the words, for my sake, which you see towards the end of the verse. In other words, the two kinds of lives that Jesus speaks about here all depend on whether or not you live your life for the sake of Jesus. One life is a life that is lived with no reference to Jesus. It's the life that many are living today that has its reference to the self. It's a self-centred life. It's a self-oriented life. It's a life that is all about my plans and my comfort and my happiness in this world. And Jesus says, even if you find that life, and even if you have everything that your heart desires for yourself in this life, one day your heart will stop beating and you will lose everything that matters. But on the other hand, the other kind of life that Jesus speaks about is a life that is lived in reference to Jesus. It's a life that is willing to put to death my old self, that old life that was all about me and my ambitions and my plans and my happiness, and is willing to throw in everything with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, if that is you, then even in the most extreme case that you lose your life, your physical life, for the sake of living for him, then you will not lose everything. In fact, you will find a glorious life in the kingdom of heaven that begins now with Jesus and which will stretch on towards eternity. Uh, some of you might know the story of Jim Elliot. Uh, Elliot was a, an American evangelical missionary who, together with uh, four other men, went to Ecuador to bring the good news of Jesus to the Ayuca Indians there. Uh, They knew very well the dangers of going to this part of the world. The the Ayuka Indians were well known for their violence. Uh, Their wives apparently even discussed the possibility of being widowed uh, even before they left on a plane. But these, uh, Jim Elliot and these four men, flew into Ecuador simply for the glory of Jesus. Uh, On the 6th of January 1956, they flew in and they exchanged greetings with a few of the Indian people. Uh, on the 8th of January, a few days later, they flew in again, but this time as they stepped out of their plane to bring the good news of Jesus to these people, they were ambushed, and all of them, without exception, were speared to death. Uh, later, they found Jim Elliot's journal, where, where, he found, uh, where he wrote these now famous words he said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose that's what jesus is saying here isn't it it's true You can foolishly live a life that is all about yourself, only to lose everything on the last day for all of eternity. But you will never be a fool if you give your life to Jesus, because that kind of life leads to a life that you and I can never lose. It is a life that is totally and utterly worth it. Now, friends i can actually stand here all day and give you lots of examples of heroes of the faith who lived for jesus and died for the sake of jesus but i want you to see very clearly here that jesus is not simply speaking here to those whom we consider heroes in verse 37 notice that he says whoever loves parents or children more than me, is not worthy of me. In verse 38, he says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And in verse 39, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus' challenge here is not just for heroes, but it is a challenge for you and a challenge for me. And so, is your allegiance and my allegiance ultimately to Jesus? Are our lives really about knowing him and serving him in our lives? I know that many of us are living lives that are more and more being shaped by this Jesus. But perhaps you're here this morning and you know that your life has really only ever been about you and living for yourself. And Jesus says, if that's you, then give up that old life. Come and follow him. And so will you turn to Jesus this morning? Will you give your life to him as the king of your life and find in him a life that is truly life? Well, friends, uh, if aligning yourself ultimately with Jesus will not result in peace but a sword in this life, uh, is it worth it in the end? Uh, Jesus seems to anticipate this question because you'll see there that towards the end of our passage, he speaks about the great reward of following him. Uh, Let's pick it up from verse 40, and we're on the home stretch. Verse 40. Jesus is speaking here to his 12 disciples to prepare them to go on mission. And uh, it's striking how he describes these 12 disciples in this passage. Uh, In verse 41, notice that he equates them with the Old Testament prophets who were the ones who spoke the very word of God. In the same verse, he equates them with righteous people which was a way of describing God's people in the Old Testament. And later again, in verse 42, he equates them with little ones, which is a common way of describing God's children uh, in the Bible. But the point is clear, isn't it? These 12 disciples, as they go out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom, are those who, like the prophets, speak for God. And so in a very real sense... To receive what they have to say is to receive Jesus himself and to receive Jesus himself is to receive the God who sent him. If you receive the disciples and their message, you will actually be siding with God. And if you reject the disciples and their message, you will be rejecting God himself. Now, if you were living in Israel at this time, Uh, It's not too hard to imagine what it would have looked like to receive the disciples. You know, um, you get a a knock on the door and uh, you open the door and you see Peter and Andrew standing there. Uh, What does it look look like to receive them? Well, receiving them might mean having them in and um, feeding them and housing them. But even more, it would have meant receiving with gladness their message that Jesus, God's King, had now come and to start siding with this Jesus. And given the nature of life in a small town or village in Israel, once a person started to do that, well, everyone would have known whose side you were really on. And I want to suggest that receiving the disciples for us is in some ways no different. We we might not get get a knock on the door from uh, Peter or Andrew, but God in his kindness has given us the testimony of these 12 disciples in the Bible, which is God's way of knocking on our door and telling us about his king. And so... It is through receiving the Bible as the Word of God and living in humble and joyful submission to this King who has come that we receive the disciples and we receive Jesus and we receive God from whom we await a great reward. Uh, It was C.S. Lewis who once pointed out the difference between natural rewards and unnatural rewards. Uh, My children are learning to play piano at the moment. Uh, Now, um, I can give them money as a reward for practising, and um, uh, believe me, I've been tempted. But it's difficult to see the connection between playing the piano and money, isn't it? Uh, It's a very unnatural kind of reward. But what is the natural reward of playing the piano? Well, the natural reward is that one day you will play the piano so well that you can enjoy the music that is coming as you play it. And so similarly, I think what Jesus is speaking about here when he speaks about rewards and the future reward to come is not, you know, that mansion and that Mercedes in the, in the garage in heaven. The prophet's reward is to see God's word fulfilled in the kingdom of heaven. The righteous man's reward is to see God and his righteousness in the kingdom of heaven. The astonishing reward here for all those who follow Jesus as their king is to know God and his gracious rule in the kingdom of heaven forever. That's the reward. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that there are many of us who know the difficulty of following Jesus. There are some of us who are facing the deep pain of division and conflict or disagreement, uh, perhaps even in our own families, for following Jesus. There are others of us who have made and continue to make costly decisions to put uh, the old life death to serve jesus but whatever the case i want you to see that these things god promises will never be in vain if you receive jesus and follow him you will by no means lose your reward but for some of us this may be the first time to consider jesus seriously in our lives And if that is you, then you may be surprised at what you're hearing today um, about who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. Uh, You might even be thinking to yourself, well, who is this Jesus who demands that I love him more than my parents and my children and even my own life? Uh, Who is this man who thinks that he can make these sort of demands on me? it's quite an audacious thing for jesus to say don't you think if he wasn't god himself but if jesus is god's king who has come into this world to forgive you and me of our sins and to give us the hope of an eternal life in the kingdom of heaven then following him is by far the best thing you can do and i can do with our lives Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you especially for our Lord Jesus, who endured the cross and suffered in our place so that we can know your forgiveness and the certain hope of salvation. We thank you for his amazing love that would drive him to the point of death for us, only to rise again to be our glorious King. Father, we pray especially for those of us who may be finding it difficult at present to follow Jesus, whether it be for family reasons or because of our struggle to have him first in our lives. We pray that even as they feel these things as a sword, that you would graciously provide comfort and help and wisdom and a desire to serve Jesus above all. Uh, But Father, we pray uh, for all of us that you would help us to have this Jesus as our greatest love and the one worthy of giving our very lives to. Help us to repent and turn from our self-centeredness and show us in your word what it looks like to live for the sake of Christ. Help us to fix our eyes on him and live this life looking forward to our great reward in the kingdom of heaven. And we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.